This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Starting this uh, amazing shiur on the Rabbi Akiva, the great one and only Rabbi Akiva, amazing uh, Talmud Hacham, tremendous Gaon, brilliant man. Um, what a brain he had, obviously, we're going to talk about. But it's very, let's start off with his very humble beginning. So now we are discussing the period just after the Khorban Habayit, around 70 CE, Rabbi Kiva was around the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And he rose to fame after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. He, he lived through that period, uh, not as a sage, but as a, a commoner, a regular person. He was a shepherd, a regular person. His father was, we know, Ben Gerim, descendant of Gerim, of converts. Tradition has it that he was a descendant of Sisera, so very old. I don't know how they kept the records so well. We're talking about another 800 or so years earlier, um, or more, maybe more, 1,300 years more earlier. They said he was Ben Gerim. Anyway, he was a descendant of Gerim, converts. And his father was Yosef, famous Yosef. And Akiva, from these very humble beginnings, rose to prominence. So we have to talk about is an interesting story that Gemara talks about is his uh, wife, Rachel. Rachel was unique in that she was a very wealthy man's daughter. She was not only a wealthy man's daughter, she was an only child. Rachel was an only child who had lost her mother at early age. We know her father's name was Kalba Sabua, which was a nickname. We don't have his real name. And there's a couple of different opinions what that means. The most common example, Kalba Sabua means a satisfied dog because if a person empty, entered his house hungry, he would leave the house like a satisfied dog. In other words, he'd be puffing and panting. I don't know if you've ever seen a dog who overate, uh, puffing and panting, very fat and overweight and puffing and panting. And that's how his guests would leave the house. In other words, he's very, very hospitable. Kalba Sabua was very, very hospitable. He was also known as Ben Kalba Sabua. And Kalba Sabua in Aramaic could also mean a well-laden warehouse. It was his warehouses were packed with stuff. And the rabbis tell us in the Gemara Gittin, very famous Gemara, talks about the Purbana Bite, the destruction of Yerushalayim in the temple. Very sad Gemara, which we learn on Tisha B'Av. It discusses the three rich men in Yerushalayim who kept the city going with uh, all the sustenance during the Roman siege. And he was one of the rich people in Yerushalayim who kept the city going during the siege. And Kalba Sabua, big tzaddik, he loved rabbis, he loved knowledge, he loved Torah. So it's his great disappointment in life that his only daughter, his only child, Rachel, refused to marry any of the great sages that he recommended. Imagine, he brings in these boys, she looks at them, she asks the questions, and not for me. Next one, not for me, not for me, not for me. And then one day she's looking out the window and she sees this shepherd looking after her father's sheep. And she said, that's for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very hard to understand. What does she see in Akiva? We don't have any. She saw, obviously, she saw his tremendous intellect. She saw how well he looked after the sheep. But it's, it's very strange. She had this kind of intuition, a woman's intuition. And she ran with her intuition. She took tremendous risks. She was willing to forego her entire fortune, her father's entire fortune. And sure enough, her father, Kalba Sabua, was mad. He was angry. You're going to marry the shepherd? I don't care. He's a shepherd. I, the problem is he's totally ignorant. He's an ignoramus. He's an Amharitz. He doesn't even know how to read. He's no alabet. Can't read, can't write. He's totally illiterate. He's 40 years old. You're a young girl. I don't know how old she was that time. She was a young girl. You're from a good family, a good upbringing. You can marry anyone you want, the whole country. And this is the one you choose. You choose this illiterate shepherd. So he was very totally disappointed. He was. He said, I'm going to disinherit you. If you marry, I'm going to disinherit you. And she talks to Akiva. She says, Akiva, I'll only marry you on one condition. And you go and learn Torah. And Akiva says, impossible. I'm 40 years old. Your father's right. I have no way I could learn. It's impossible. So it says one day, the governor says one day, she was, he was sitting by a stream. Famous story. He sees the water dripping on a rock over time. Had made a hole in the rock. So he says, wow, if the water can make a hole in the rock, the Torah can penetrate my skull and get into my brains. And then 
he said, yes, Rachel, I will marry you and I will go and learn Torah. And by don't know who's going to support us, we're going to have to work hard because your father's going to disinherit us. And sure enough, they got married and the father threw them out of the house. Um, he really was tremendously heartbroken. His only child married this illiterate shepherd and tremendously disheartened. And they were poverty stricken. They lived in a barn on the straw. It says every morning she would pull the straw from her hair. So rough, really rough. Uh, it was a rough time in their lives. And it says that she had beautiful hair. She sold her hair. I guess uh, there's a market for hair like there is today as well, making these wigs. And she sold her hair and, and she, that was the first sacrifice for Akiva. She sold her beautiful hair so they could live on it. And Akiva, it says, would go and uh, find firewood and sell, sell firewood just like the great Hillel before him. So Akiva would sell firewood, gather firewood, and she would work. I don't know what she'd do, some kind of seamstress or something. Tremendous poverty stricken. And he had a hard time finding a rabbi. Who's going to teach him Torah? First question is, I want to learn Torah. He goes to the academy. The academy says, what do you know? Says, well, I don't know anything. I don't even know how to bet. Sorry. You know, we're sorry. We can't accept you here. You, you know, you're on the level and uh, you, you know, little kids know more than you. Uh, you have to go and learn with kids. We can't accept you here. Until finally he finds a tremendously great rabbi, a famous rabbi, Nachum in Shgamzu. And we know either he was from a place called Gimzo or he is, his last, his favorite saying was Gam, Zu, Latova, even this is for the best. And uh, can you imagine he goes to Nachamish Gamzu and Nachamish Gamzu says, how old are you? So I'm 40 years old. He says, Gam, Zu, Latova. That's great. Fantastic. <laughs> he says, what do you know? He says, I know nothing. He says, Zu, Latova. Even that's good. Good. I said, how do I be good? Fantastic. Okay, good. That's the best. That's the best rabbi you want. The guy who, the rabbi is always content. I know nothing from nothing, and Gamzulatola, even that would be good. Now, what was good about it? So what was really good about this that Akiba knew nothing is he had no prepositions. He had no learning before this. He could not, he, he didn't have enough learning. He took everything and he swallowed it. He was like a, just like a vacuum cleaner. He just swallowed everything. He sucked as much information as he could. But simple things that we, we take for granted, which we learned when we were kids, like the aleph and the bed and the gimel, the shape of the letters, he started asking Nachamish Gamzu. Okay, Nachamish Gamzu says, this is Aleph. He says, why? Why is the Aleph shaped like that? Now, this is a question. No one, no kids ever ask this question. Why? Is it an Aleph? Okay, it's an Aleph. That's the shape of an Aleph. That's the bed. What, what do you want? So Akiva's 40 years old. He says, why is the Aleph shaped like that? Why is the bed shaped like that? And then Rabbi Akiva writes a book eventually called Otiot de Rabbi Akiva, very famous sefer called The Letters of Rabbi Akiva, where it gives the reasons for the shape of the alphabet. Can you imagine? Gives reasons for the shape of the letters. And, and this came down to us. Art Scroll wrote a book on the alphabet, and they quote a lot from this Rabbi Akiva. Amazing. So the shape of the letters, each shape has a symbolism, the shape of the letters. Um, you know, the Arizal talks about the shape of the Aleph. Is it a Yud Vav Yud, which is 26, which is the, the Gematria of uh, Shem Hashem, Nivke Vavke, you know, the Yud on top and Yud underneath and the Vav in the middle. So it's Yud Vav Yud, which is 26. Is it Yud Vav Dalit, which is a Yud, which is spells out the letter Yud. So it's Aleph can be also be a Yud. Anyway, so it's tremendous symbolism letter Aleph, the Bet and the Gimel. The Gimel is, it says, stands for Gomel Chasadim. It gives kindness. Why? Because the leg is stretched outwards to give. It's a laden leg. It's, it's like it has something on top of the leg. It's giving. And the Dalit is a doll, a poor man. And the doll is shaped with a leg backwards receiving from the back. So the Gimel is giving to the Dalit. Gomel, Hasadim. Anyway, every letter he gives a reason. Number two is every little crown in the Torah. We know the Torah has crowns. Tagim. Every crown in the Torah. He would learn thousands of laws from every single crown of the Torah. It says there were thousands of laws. We're going to talk about this famous Midrash. The Midrash says the Gemara Menachot. It says Rabbi Kiva goes, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu goes uh, to Shabbat and he sees Hashem right in the Sefer Torah, whatever that means, with the crowns. And he says, Hashem, what are all these crowns? So Hashem says, one day there'll be a rabbi who will learn thousands of laws from these crowns. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, show me this rabbi. Hashem says, no problem, get behind me. First time we have time travel in the Torah. 
And, uh, and Rabbi, he ends up, Moshe Rabbeinu ends up in the shiur of Rabbi Akiva on the eighth row of the shiur, which means the best students were in the front row, Moshe Rabbeinu ends up on the eighth row, which means not very good in terms of being graded in terms of his capabilities <laughs> compared to the students of Rabbi Akiva. He's hearing, listening to Rabbi Akiva's shiur, doesn't understand much until the students ask Rabbi Akiva, how do we know this? And Rabbi Akiva says, Halacha la Moshe Sinai. We learned it from Moses, from Sinai, and Moses says, was very happy. At least they have something, uh, rem, a residue of, of some learning from Moshe Rabbeinu. Because a lot of the rabbinical laws, which are based on fences the rabbis made, you know, a thousand years later, and Kiva was expert all the rabbinical laws, the oral laws. And Moshe Rabbeinu was stumped in the Shira Rabbi Kiva. Goes back to Hashem. Hashem, you show me this great scholar. He says, why don't you give the Torah through this scholar, not me? He's greater than me. He says, Kach Allah. He says, don't worry. Says, Hashem says, don't ask questions. Don't, don't start asking questions how I run the world. <laughs> no one can ask questions how Hashem runs the world. Anyways, beautiful Midrash. So number two is he learns laws from these crowns that no one else did. Number three, he learns laws from the et. Every time the Torah says the word et. Every time it says the word et. Which means, and the, the preposition, the. Now, what we learn in English, you say the word the. Okay, the it's telling you it's this and not something else. But in Hebrew, no one ever came along and learned things from this word. Et. There were other rabbis who dismissed. Because why? They were stumped. Because it says, et Hashem tira. You will love the Lord your God. So why the et? Who else is there to, to, to fear the Lord? The Lord? You're going to fear someone else's Lord? And Rabbi Kiva says, yes, you fear the hacham. Fear those who have God's word. So Rabbi Kiva learned everything from his ets. All the ets, the Torah, which someone else, you know, who learned the Torah so many times when they were young, um, they don't pay attention to all these minutiae. The crowns, the ets, you know. Rabbi Kiva learned when he was 40, he started asking questions. No one knew the answers. Malcolm becomes going to come up with these answers. The tremendous, why is the shape of the letter like that? Anyway, so Rabbi Kiva, tremendous, tremendous scholar, uh, it says he went, she sent him to Yeshiva, Rachel. Uh, they already had children, and he's already an older man. And he goes for 12 years, and he, and he comes back, and he hears his wife talking to someone, and someone is saying, Why? Where's, your, where's that no good husband of yours? Why come he doesn't support you? She said, I sent him to Yeshiva. He's been there 12 years already. He said, I don't care. If he spent another 12 years, I don't care as long as he comes back, learn it. So it says he didn't even go inside. He went straight back to the yeshiva for another 12 years, 24 years in yeshiva. And this time he comes back, when I says he bamot, with 12,000 pairs of students, 12,000 pairs of students, 24,000 students, 24,000 students, hard to make it. 24 years he was in yeshiva. Now he is the greatest of the great. He is one of the most learned rabbis. So as Rabbi Kiva studied, with the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the chief rabbi at the time of the destruction of, of the Second Temple, 70 CE. He witnessed, he was the leader of the Jews at the time of the destruction. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was one of the 80 students of Hillel. So he was the smallest students of Hillel. Hillel had 80 students, and uh, he was the small commander. The chief rabbi was the smallest student of Hillel. And the greatest student of Hillel is buried in Amukka, Rabbi Yonatan Berusiel, who wrote, writes the biblical commentary in Aramaic, uh, Targum Yonatan. And uh, Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai had five great students. And two of the great students, Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai, Rabbi Ezeb ben Hurkadus, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, were the rabbis of Rabbi Kiva. Most of his learning was from them, even though he learned in the early years of Nachomish Gamzu. He finishes off completes his studies, and two great rabbis, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, in Pirkei Avot, praises Rabbi, Rabbi, Yochan, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania's mother. He says, Ashrei Yolato, praise is the woman who gave birth to him. Tremendous praise for the mother, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania. And the rabbis ask, why did he praise his mother? He says, the mother will take his carriage uh, to the Beit HaMidrash. So that the baby can learn Torah. It would seep into his head, even though he's a baby. It's always good to go to the baby drash. A pregnant woman goes to the baby drash and listens. It's not just her. I remember <laughs> my, my youngest student had a woman in my class, uh, it was a woman's class, and she, would, she was pregnant. She would come 
and said, my youngest student is in the class, not even born yet. <laughs> so, so that's, we don't really realize how much, you know, the child in the, in the womb is already getting from learning. That's why it's important where, where the mother goes, where, you know, the influences come start already from before birth. So whatever good she listens to Shirim or whatever it is, it goes into the mother, it goes into the baby. So Ashrei Yorato praises the woman who gave birth to Yeshua ben Hanania, one of the greatest sages in our history. And the other one is Rabbi Ezeb ben Hurkadus, who is a tremendous scholar, who totally disregarded Akiva. There's totally different ways they treated Akiva. Yeshua ben Hanania at least had some respect. There is this old students. Imagine everyone else is in their 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and, and this guy's 40 years old. Imagine the guy goes to Yeshiva 40 years old, and what else is young students? So uh, Rabbi Yeshua gave him a little bit of respect. Rabbi Yeshua discounted him completely. So imagine he's sitting over there without saying a word for a long time. For years and years, he just sat there, you know, grasping as much information as he could, examining everything in his head. Uh, the rabbi say in the Gemara Nedarim, it says his, his head was like a department store. What does that mean? He collated all the information and he stored it in his brain in cabinets. He had a section for this and a section for this. He was the originator of the Mishnah. His students were the ones who compiled all the Hebrew books we have today are from the five students, which we're going to talk about the five students of Rabbi Kiva, tremendous five students of Rabbi Kiva. So let's, uh, we're going to go into that uh, a bit later. But first, so here we have two great rabbis, one who gave him a little bit of kavod, a little bit of honor, this oldest disciple, Rabbi Shua ben Hanania, and Rabbi Ezra who did not really care much for this old student. And uh, what happened is, can you imagine that uh, when Rabbi Akiva uh, suddenly opened his mouth and started asking questions, he stumped Rabbi Yezid and Hercules, the one who looked down upon him. <laughs> he, he would ask these tough questions. And eventually what happens is, when the Gemara quotes these great rabbis, he quotes Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, he quotes Rabbi Yezid ben Hercules, and then quotes Akiva. Now, like he's on par now with them. He's asking them questions and he's bringing proofs from all over. And they say, wow, this guy's, you know, he, he, all of a sudden he knows more than us. He's, brilliant. he's a brilliant mind, he's a brilliant brain, he remembered everything we said, and he's giving us counter-arguments that we never thought about. So you'll, you'll find the Gemara is full of these different places where Akiva is arguing with his former rabbis, and sometimes he's besting them. He's getting the better of them with the logic and his uh, abilities, his learning abilities. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So what happens is, he comes back, 24,000 students, 24 years later, he is now a man of 64, with 24,000 students, the greatest rabbi in Israel. And he comes back to this small town and it's just overwhelming of students. I don't know how these students survived. They brought their food with them, the camping equipment. I don't know what happened over there. And this poor lady, bedraggled lady, comes to greet the rabbi. I want to speak to the rabbi. And the students push her away. And uh, Akiva says, don't push her away. Whatever I have and you have is all hers. It's all due to her. All your learning and all my learning are all due to this woman. This is my wife, Akiva, Rachel. And what happened is, Kalba Sabuah, this is amazing. It's a beautiful part of the story. Kalba Sabuah, this rich man, the father of Rachel, comes, he hears there's a great rabbi, doesn't know who it is. He comes, he hears a great rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, Kim comes to town and he goes to Akiva, the great rabbi. He says, Rabbi, I have a problem. You know, 24 years ago, I made a vow disinheriting my daughter because she married this shepherd, is useless. He was totally armored, he was ignoramus. And the rabbi says, If this shepherd would now be a rabbi, would you annul your vow? He said, That's, That was my problem. My problem was he was illiterate, he was totally ignorant. If he was a rabbi, the rabbi says, if you were a rabbi like me, what would you say? He said, of course, of course I would uh, annul the bell. He says, I am, I am your former shepherd, Akiva. And sure enough, he annuls his vow. And Baruch Hashem, the money comes back to Akiva and Rachel. And Akiva says, Rachel, I'm going I'm to buy you Jerusalem of gold. So the, the, the Gemara says he bought a Jerusalem of gold, which is like a tiara in the shape of all the buildings in Yerushalayim with the Benedictash, and she wore that tiara. He bought it for his wife, 
and they lived in luxury for a time. We're going to talk about amazing, amazing ending, happy ending, but not really. Rabbi Akiva doesn't have a very happy ending, but that's the happy ending for Rachel and Akiva that they lived in, in tremendous wealth. But don't forget, it was the time of destruction of the temple and uh, what was going on around them, were terrible things going on around them, tremendous persecution, the Roman persecution under Hadrian, terrible, a terrible emperor for the Jews. Hadrian was uh, tortured how many Jews and destroyed the Bet Dash, plowed it over and became a Roman garrison over there on the Temple Mount. So anyway, so that's finished. Let's, uh, uh, okay, so he, so uh, Rachel, well, looked after now, money comes back to the family. The gold is flowing, silver is flowing, but it's, the state of affairs in Israel was terrible. Here's Akiva now as one of the top rabbis. Tremendous amount of following. And uh, uh, that was the, ch- the chief rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, who was the Nasi of the prince. Uh, their senator, the rabbi, uh, you know, the forerunner of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. And he's, his wife was jealous. How come Akiva's wife gets this gold, Jerusalem of gold, uh, tiara, and you don't buy me one? He says, well, she deserves it. She sacrificed tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you should say that to your wife. You know, she deserves it more than you. She sacrificed so much for Akiva. And uh, so anyway, that's what the Gemara says. If you had done for your husband what she did for hers, I would buy you an almond just like that. But anyway, so there's a little bit of jealousy over there in the story. You know, it says jealousy of scribes is allowed, which means if it's jealous for the sake of good, I want to be like that person. I want to be so great like that person. That's allowed. Uh, so she was jealous that Akiva bought his wife a golden. What did his wife do? That's what she was jealous of. What did his wife do to deserve it? So Agaron Gamliel says his wife's tremendous sacrifices. She sacrificed all her wealth for this man to learn Torah. Tremendous. Okay. So now we come to uh, one of the troublesome times in our history, one of the most troublesome times in our history. We're still suffering. Till very recently, till the state of Israel was, was suffered because of this Roman defeat of the Jews, uh, Bar Kokhba. So Bar Kokhba uh, was one of the great, uh, great men. He was a great man. Well, Rabbi Akiva, one of the mistakes he made in his life was, I think the biggest mistake Rabbi Akiva made in his life was thinking that Bar Kokhba was potentially the Mashiach. And Akiva told everyone, this man is a tremendous, mighty warrior. He says he could catch the catapult stones from the Romans, from their catapults when they're throwing out the cities, catch the stone and throw it back at them and kill people. Amazing might. This man had tremendous might. And he had a massive, he got a massive army of all the Jews who were discontented under Roman persecution. They say hundreds of thousands of Jews joined the army, more than there are now, by the way. Um, the Romans say 500,000. Roman historians say there are 500,000 people. In, you know, they're, you know, they're embellishing because they lost so many wars with him. Uh, three years, he basically conquered, reconquered Israel from the Romans. And the Romans had to send their best uh, generals, Severus, um, and the mighty, uh, all the army they could uh, bring to cope with this Barakoff revolt. So, one of the biggest revolts, and nearly took down the Roman Empire. People don't realize how close Rome was to losing to the Jews twice. Once at the time of the destruction of the temple, and the second time in, in Bar Kokhba's revolt, because a lot of the neighboring countries, the, the people also started joining Bar Kokhba. Everyone wanted to get rid of the Romans. So no, one, no one loved the Romans. And uh, so his army started swelling, and he was victorious for a while, until this general Severus, uh, started wearing him down, and Barakofa retreated to this fortress in Betar. And unfortunately, he made a treaty with the Samaritans. Now, the Christians say the good Samaritans, and we say bad Samaritans. <laughs> the Samaritans were the ones who were treacherous and led the Romans in through secret tunnels into Betar. They could, there's no way they could, they could break the walls of Betar. And they were led in by the Samaritans through these secret passages. And they destroyed Betar. They killed everyone. And they wouldn't let anyone uh, be buried for three years, it says, until finally they, you know, the Romans, uh, there was a new emperor. And they allowed Jews to bury the dead. And that's why we have a fourth blessing in the Birkat Amazon. That's when the rabbis made the fourth blessing in the Birkat Amazon. So that's why you'll notice in the Birkat Amazon is very strange. 
Amen. Now, why is Amen said after the third blessing? And the answer is because in those days that was the end of the Brit Amazon. That should be the end, and that's the end of the Karamazon from the Torah. From the Torah, the Karamazon only has three blessings. The Torah says, Be'achalta, Be'savata, Be'rachta. And there the rabbis learned to have three blessings. And they added the fourth blessing when the dead of Betar were allowed to be buried. The miracle was, it says, the dead never rotted. The bodies never rotted. The, but the, the blood was used for irrigation the fields. It was irrigated field. The blood went everywhere from the sun of blood. Betar. Today, Beitar has been rebuilt. Baruch Hashem, it's one of the uh, uh, interesting uh, settlements just outside Yerushalayim, Beitar Elite. And it's built. So Beitar has been rebuilt, Baruch Hashem. It's flourishing. It's a flourishing suburb of Yerushalayim. And so Akiva, that was one of the toughest times in his life was the Barakafa revolt. And after that revolt, the persecutions of the Romans increased tremendously. You cannot even imagine the increase of torture and, and the killing and murder. Uh, so a lot of Jews were taken as slaves. It was a terrible time to be Jewish. It was a terrible time. 24,000 students died during this period. Between, it says, that's why we're in, we're in semi-morning in the period of the Omer, between Pesach and Shavuot, 24,000. These 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva died. The Gemara says because they did not give enough honor to each other. They didn't give enough honor to each other. What does that mean? They didn't give enough honor. Obviously, they kept the mitzvah. It says, Rabbi Kiva is one who pushed. How come, you know? So maybe it says they didn't give honor to each other's Torah learning. The guy says, you know, I love this. There's a chidush. I made up this interesting new idea. And the guy says, ah, what do you know? So they knocked each other instead of, uh, you know, accepting each other's Torah. They knocked each other and they didn't show enough respect. I don't know. It's a very... It's a wild story, a horrible story in our history. It's enough that we lost enough people in the Bar Kofa revolt. Now 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiba died. But you know what? Rabbi Kiba does not uh, get down and out. Okay, he may be sad, but he's not out. Rabbi Kiba was amazing in the respect that we just learned in Dafyomi and Yibamot uh, that Rabbi Kiba learned how to pasuk. The pasuk says, if you sowed your corn, Shlomo Melech says in Mishle, if you sowed your corn in the morning, keep sowing corn. Keep sowing corn in the evening as well. What does that mean? That means if you sowed corn, literally, if you sowed corn, which means in those days, if you sowed wheat or sowed grain in the morning, don't just rely on the grain you sowed in the morning. Just keep on going. Sow more grain. You don't know which grain is going to grow more. You don't know which grain is going to be successful. Plant more. This way, maybe the one you planted in the morning is not being successful. Plant in the evening also. Maybe that will be successful. So this passage has been interpreted in different ways. Rakiva says, if you had students when you were young, have students when you're old. If you have children when you're young, have children when you're old, you don't know which one's going to be more successful. So that's exactly what Rakiva does. It says when these 24,000 students die, it says he goes south and he gets the wise men of the south to join him. Who are these wise men? His five main students. Which are Rabbi Meir Balanes. Of course, we all know Rabbi Meir Balanes, the Rabbi Meir who does miracles. It's part of our Serichot. Sfarim are very big on this. God of Meir, answer us which Meir we're talking about. This is Rabbi Meir who could do miracles. Rabbi Meir Balanes, Rabbi Meir the miracle worker, whose wife was the famous Bruria. You know, the school is named after Elizabeth Bruria. Rameer Balanes was the, one of the famous students of Rabbi Akiva, who was a, a stum Mishnah, a Mishnah with no name. Usually it's Rabbi Meir Balanes. So Rameer Balanes, one of the great students of Rabbi Akiva, married in Tiberias. You go to the entrance of Tiberia, you'll see a massive building. And his tomb is, is now a yeshiva. It's a minyan factory. And his tomb is right there in uh, the entrance of Tiberia, Tiberias, beautiful place. And there's plenty of room over there. There's no crowding. Uh, his other famous thing, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that's where the crowding is, like Bomer, that's where one goes. That's where the terrible thing was in Miron last year. But uh, that's where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son, Abir of Lazar. So another famous student of Rabbi Akiva. You know, the Kabbalah comes from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. That was straight from Rabbi Akiva. People think it was Rabbi Akiva who was expert Kabbalist. He was the, he was the teacher of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Then we have uh, Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, another student of 
Rabbi uh, Eva, Rabbi Huda Barilai, all these are great students of Rabbi uh, Akiva, these five students, Rabbi Akiva, tremendous students. Our whole Torah today, all the different books that we have are from these students of Rabbi Akiva. Amazing. So the students of Rabbi Akiva, our Torah, we owe our Torah to Rabbi Akiva, and we owe our Torah to Rabbi Akiva's wife, Rachel, who gave so much so he could learn. And to these five students of Rabbi Akiva, who were tremendous, they kept the Torah going after the Betar, the Bar Kofa revolt. You know, after the Bar Kofa revolt, they didn't call him Bar Kofa anymore, which means the son of the star. They called him Bar Koziva, the liar. He was a fake messiah. He was a fake messiah. And since then, we have been very, very weary of false messiahs. Jews are very weary. The guy comes on today and says, I'm the messiah. What should you do? Either laugh at the guy or say, prove it. You have two choices. Well, you laugh at the guy, you're a messiah. Yeah, we've been through those before. Pulls us tremendous trouble, agony. And if you want to, if you're the Messiah, prove it. The Messiah has to do seven things the Rambam says. He's got to build a better Mikdash. He's going to bring all the Jews back to Israel to make them all religious. You know, you, you start, you can start. You can, you're going to fight all the wars. Uh, he's, you start. He's going to be learned like Moses. Yeah, yeah, you know, who's going to do all these things? So you can prove you're the Messiah. You can do all these things. Rebuild the temple. That's going to cause World War Three or something even worse. I don't know what's going to cause. So let the Messiah do that. You're the Messiah. Okay, you can go ahead and start start, start all, doing all these things. Okay. All right. So Rabbi Kiva, that was a, a terrible time of his life. Rabbi Kiva, unfortunately, was caught by this Tyrannus Rufus, who was the governor of Israel. And the, it's interesting because that's when the Romans changed Israel. The name of Israel was not Israel at that time. It was Judea. Was Yehuda. Why? Because Israel was under the ten tribes, the northern kingdom was destroyed by Sanherib and the Syrians, and prior to Sanherib um, by Tiklat Palasar. It's interesting, I was just at the Israel Museum, and they have over there a relief. They don't have the original, I think the original is in the French Museum or in uh, Britain, of the actual writings of Tiklat Palasar, how it shows the Assyrians. The pictures of the siege of Yerushalayim, of not Yerushalayim, of uh, Shamron, the siege of Samaria, which is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. And it shows how they were besieging. It's a massive, it's like a whole wall. It's a whole wall of pictures uh, showing the siege and how they put ladders and they climbed up and shows all the arrows, and the stones dropping, dropping down on them. And it shows eventually they captured the Jews and taking them away to Assyria. Terrible, that's the 10 tribes. So the second commonwealth was not the commonwealth of Israel. The second one was the commonwealth of Judea. Because which tribe survived? Judah and Benjamin and Levi and the Kohanim. That's it. Two tribes out of 12. Now the rabbis say that Jeremiah went and, and brought a lot of the, ten, the, the lost tribes back. He went to Assyria and brought back a lot of the people. And you do find statistically that the tribe of Judah suddenly it uh, doubles, basically. In the time of Haskiahu when uh, Jeremiah goes and brings back these people. So it does seem that a lot of the lost tribes came back already and got mixed up in the tribe of Judah. But the second commonwealth was called Judea. It's called Judah, Yehuda. And that's why today the biblical name for, uh, you know, is called, we call it Judah and Shamron. Judah and Shamron are the original names of the West Bank. It's not uh, Palestine. The Romans were the ones who changed the name to Palestine. Why did they change the name to Palestinia? Why? Because they wanted to get rid of Judah forever. They wanted to erase the name of Judah. They wanted to erase our Torah. They wanted to erase our people. The first Holocaust was the Roman Holocaust. People don't realize more Jews were killed in percentage-wise by the Romans than by the Nazis. So, well, you know, the French, the Romans killing by hand. They killed millions of Jews. There were seven million Jews there. Four million were killed by the Romans. Whatever they had, at least half the Jews in the world were killed by the Romans. And 10% of the Roman world were Jews. You have to remember, people don't realize that. 10% of the Roman world were Jews. And 5% were killed by the Romans. 5% survived, but the survival was slaves, bondage, exile. They didn't survive the... If they survived the persecution, they didn't survive the civilization, unfortunately. So today we have very few people, you know, think about 0.01% of the world population, less than... Less than point, if there was 10%, now it's 0.01% of the world population. Uh, there should be a, approximately maybe 300 million descendants of Jews around in the world. 
according to statistics, it should be at least 300 million Jews in the world, probably are descendants of Jews, at least 300 million people, but they don't associate themselves with Jews. And we see this in America today, we see at least half people are gone, assimilated, gone. Anyway, we're moving on. So tremendous hardship. And Akiva uh, would, would be one of the people who would go to Rome to plead with the Romans to give a break. And uh, that's why it says the Torah is in hiding. Right? He wasn't allowed to teach Torah. They were not allowed to teach him. not allowed to teach Torah. Now we can understand why the Haggadah was in the basement. They didn't know it was morning. Imagine they hid in the basement to say the Haggadah. The great rabbis were hiding in the basement saying the Haggadah. And they had their students as lookouts. And the lookouts come and they tell them, Rabbi Tenu, the time for Shema has come because it's dawn outside. How come the rabbis didn't know? There's no windows. They were hiding in the basement. I can't imagine hiding in the basement saying Haggadah. Today we're so fortunate we can say that Haggadah without hiding, we can say it. It's not, uh, you can learn Torah today. We have freedom of religion today. We are blessed. And unfortunately, people are not taking advantage enough of this freedom of religion that we have. We fought so hard for, we have to take advantage of it. So anyway, so the, the Romans banned learning Torah and teaching Torah. And Rabbi Akiva continued teaching Torah in public. He continued till the end teaching Torah in public. It says he lived to 120. And just like Moshe Rabbi, he lived to 120. So from the age of 60 to age 120, he was teaching Torah. 60 years he taught Torah nonstop. Five of the students were successful. And the Torah we have are from five. Imagine 24,000 students. How much Torah would have survived? Maybe there's 24,000 students would have survived. It says... When the 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva died, it says the land was shamin. It was destroyed. What does that mean? Destroyed all the Torah. That Torah of 24,000 students was destroyed. You have no idea how much Torah was destroyed. Anyway, at least thank God we have what we have. And anyway, Rabbi Kiva is put in jail. The Romans put him in jail for teaching Torah, not just teaching Torah, teaching Torah in public. And we know he's one of the 10 Harugei Mahut, Asara Harugei Mahut, 10 great rabbis were killed by the Romans during that period. Terrible period of Hadrianic persecution, terrible, murderous Hadrian. Uh, what can I tell you? So, uh, so what happened is, there's another Midrash, amazing Midrash, that says that the Roman procurator, this Tyrannus Rufus, had a beautiful wife. And uh, obviously, Rachel had already passed away. Rabbi lived to 120, so he was an old man. His wife, Rachel, passed away already. He was a single bachelor. He was a widow, and a widower. And, uh, and this Tyrannus Rufus would have arguments with Akiva, philosophy, and Akiva always beat him in arguments. Always would beat him in arguments. And he was sick of this rabbi, Akiva, this rebellious rabbi, who could rouse the rabble around him. And his wife, this beautiful woman, she says, you know, let me go and seduce Akiva. I'm going to make a mockery of Akiva. She goes to Rabbi Akiva and says, what does he do? He spits on the ground, he laughs, and he cries. Now, this is not something that she was used to. You know, she goes to a man and try and, you know, seduce the guy, and here he's, he's, uh, he's uh, crying, he's laughing, he's spitting on the ground. She said, what's going on? What's, what's going on? He said, I'm crying because I see your beauty. You have so much beauty and it's going to be wasted. It's going to go into the dust. The beauty is going to go into the dust. Nothing good will come off you. All this beauty is wasted on this evil man, Tyrannus Rufus. Number two is he spat on the ground because he's spitting against his Yetzirah. It says when a person is aroused, they have tremendous saliva. So he spat the saliva out of the ground. And number three is I'm laughing because I see the future. And I can't tell you what it is. So she passed it. What's the future? He says, the future is you're going to convert and I'm going to marry you. Wow. <laughs> so if you want to get the procurator really angry, you convert his wife and marry her. And that's what happened is they're both in jail. She's in jail for converting to Judaism and leaving her husband as procurator, marrying this rabbi. And he's in jail. And uh, terrible ending, terrible ending for Rabbi Kiva, this great man. But while he's in jail, the rabbis didn't know what to do. They had all these questions they didn't know what to do. So it tells us, uh, it tells us there's a, another rabbi who went, this is Rabbi Yochanan Asanda, he went past the jail and he was 
pretending to sell needles. Selling needles, selling needles, selling needles, and you'd ask the halakha in the middle. What is the halakha of this woman? Da, 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 da. And Rabbi Kiwi would shout from the jail the answer. And then he'd start screaming again, selling needles, selling needles, what's the halakha of this one? <laughs> and Rabbi Kiwi would answer. So that's how they got information from Rabbi Kiwi, even though he's in the jail. Imagine. So uh, it's interesting because in the jail, he meets his own nephew. His nephew was a guy called Papus Ben Yehuda. Obviously, he had a very uh, Greek name, Papus, or a assimilated Jew. And Papus Ben Yehuda warned Akiva. He says, Uncle, you're teaching Torah in public. I'm worried about you. They're going to kill you. Girls. And it says they both ended up in jail. And, uh, you know, Papus sees Yehuda. Akiva expects Akiva to be in jail. And Akiva says, Papus, says, Papus, says, what are you doing in jail? So Papus says, I'm in jail for tax evasion. Praise the you, Akiva, for being in jail for teaching Torah. Woe to Papus, who's in jail for this garbage reason, tax evasion. But Papus and Akiva had already talk, talked about this, you know, this uh, famous parable. So Papus was telling Akiva, why are you teaching Torah? They're going to kill us. They're going to kill you. And Akiva said, I'll tell you a parable. The fox and the fish had a d- discussion. The fox told the fish, the fox sees the fish, uh, you know, f- shooting around in the river, trying to escape the enemies. And the fox tells the fish, why are you so worried over there? And the fish says, because the, these men, they put their nets, they're trying to catch us all the time. And the fox tells the fish, so come and live on the dry land with me. We'll have a good time together. You'll be safe from the men. And the fish tells the fox, if I'm in danger where I live, how much more so if I'm going to be in danger in a place where I don't live? And Akiva said, that's us. If we're Jews are in danger when we're learning Torah, which is our life, how much more so will be in danger if we're not learning Torah. And that was what he gave, the example he gave to Papus, and that exactly what happened to Papus. Papus thought he's going to escape. He's not going to teach Torah. He's not going to learn Torah in public, but he was arrested and killed for evasion, tax evasion. Praise that you, Akiva, that Akiva was caught for learning and teaching Torah of Hashem. So there's beautiful stories. I've got so many stories over here about Rabbi Akiva. Let's say some stories over here. So one of the famous stories... We know that the great his, his great rabbi was Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkis, we talked about. And the great Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkis, there was a drought once. And when there's a drought, you get the chief rabbi to lead the people in prayer. And Eliezer ben Hurkis is leading the people in prayer. Nothing happened. Nothing. And what happened is Rabbi Kiva comes, takes over, and he invents this new prayer. Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king. Who invented the prayer, Avinu Malkenu, we say on fast days, we say in Yom Kippur, Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king. That's Rabbi Kiva. As soon as he started praying, it says the rain started falling straight away. So the people were amazed that the students could, <laughs> could arouse God's uh, uh, mercy and not the rabbi. And so Rabbi Kiva told them the reason. He says, here's again another mashallah parable. So there was once a king who had two daughters. One of them was a quiet person. While the other was a loud person who had demands. So one daughter was very demanding. The other, person, the other daughter was not demanding at all. And the king told his servants, whenever this demanding daughter asks for something, give it to her straight away. But the quiet daughter never asked for anything and never got. So when the king loved to hear the quiet daughter's voice. She had a nice sweet voice. So I want to hear her asking for things, but she never got what she asked for. So that was it. He says, this, this insistent voice Always gets what he wants. That's me. I'm the insistent voice. You know, Eliezer, 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 he's not so insistent. He's the quiet voice. And that's why the king wants to hear his quiet voice. Never gave him that. You know, the parable doesn't really match, but it's a way of saying, you know what? Uh, he's greater than me. Eliezer, my teacher, is greater than me. He was the one that the king really loved. And he wants his prayers more than mine. And therefore, he, he doesn't answer him. He wants him to pray more. Whereas me, Hashem answers me straight away because I'm a loud, insistent voice. Hashem fed up of my voice, and that's why. So it's a very humble way of saying, you know, that he's greater than me. I'm not great, and this way his, his rabbi is not going to get mad with him. So <laughs> I imagine that his prayers were answered straight away. Amazing. So uh, this, is a, this, is a, yeah, this man is a great man, and his modesty will serve for all generations. It says when Rabbi Kiva's son died, Everyone came to the funeral. Everyone came. Every Jew from miles around came to the funeral. And so this is what, this is what Rabbi Kiva said at the funeral. He says, Jews have gathered here, not because of my learning, 
for greater scholars than myself have come. They also did not come because of my riches, because they are greater men and riches than me. The men of the South know me, and they have come to the funeral. But the men of the Galilee, how do they know me? There exist many Akivas like myself. They all come in honor of the Torah and to fulfill of the commandment of comforting mourners. So not coming for me, they don't come for my Torah, they come for the Torah in general, they come to comfort mourners, and not for me. That was his humility that, that uh, he would not take any credit for all these thousands and thousands of people coming to this funeral. So uh, beautiful. He, he's considered lending money for interest. It's always considered a tremendous sin that Quran says, a person lends money on interest, will not get up at the revival of the dead will not arise and arrive the dead. Rabbi Kiva added that it's not just financial interest, it's even saying thank you. You cannot even say thank you. Someone gives you a loan. Um, saying thank you on the loan is a kind of interest. The guy's getting something free back. So don't greet someone if they give you a loan. <laughs> this sounds very, very rude. You imagine the guy gave you a loan and you don't even acknowledge him when he sees you. So the answer you have to tell him. I'm not acknowledging you, not because I don't like you, it's because I can't give you interest. Saying thank you to you or uh, saying hello to you could be interest. This is Rabbi Kiva. And there's a beautiful story that says uh, Rabbi Kiva goes to Rome and the Romans say, you know, Akiva, we can prove to you from your own Torah that our God is bigger than your God. Okay, who's your God? Your snake. We wor- I worship a snake and the snake is bigger than your God. So what's the proof? The proof is it says Moshe Rabbeinu goes to the burning bush and he talks to God. And but when he Hashem says, throw your stick on the ground and it turns into a snake, Moshe Rabbeinu runs away. It doesn't say Moshe Rabbeinu ran away from God, it says Moshe Rabbeinu ran away from the snake. So you see, my God, the snake is more fearsome for Moshe Rabbeinu than God himself. God didn't run away from him. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't run away from God, he ran away from the snake. So Rakiva said, amazing answer, brilliant answer. He says, you can run away from a snake, but you can't run away from God. Brilliant, brilliant answer. There's no way a person can run away from God. God is everywhere. You can run away from a snake. There's only one place. You can't run away from God. Tremendous. This is what a, what a brilliant answer to give on the spur of the moment, you know, to this uh, amazing. So he, he, he was known for his wit and his genius. And uh, so this is, uh, this is rubbish. Rabbi Akiva, amazing. So Rakiva's, uh, it says Rabbi Akiva uh, gave us five rules of life. It says, number one is, if you want to quote something, quote a great person. So now, again, he says that in a parable. He says, if you want to hang yourself, hang yourself on a very high tree. <laughs> so what does that mean? Hang yourself on a very high tree? So Rabbi has explained, if you want to say something, say it in the name of a great person, that's the high tree. If you want to put yourself on the line by saying something which is going to shock people, make sure you have a good source for it. Hang yourself on high tree. Number two, says t- when you teach your son, now you have to know in those days the books had all the errors. There were a lot of errors in the books. They were, they're hand copied and tremendous errors. So he says when you teach your son, teach him from a text that you've checked for no errors. Because once you teach the child the errors, we have a we have an amazing error in the in the you know in the, in the homage the homage. Uh, the, the story is that uh, the, the famous general, Yoav ben Suri, was learning the Pumash with his rabbi. And he was learning uh, about the destruction of Amalek. And that's what we learn. In school, we learn, that's what's written in the Torah. And the rabbi taught him, Amalek. destroy the males of Amalek. And that's what he does. He destroy the males and he comes back and he said, Why do you destroy the males? So, because that's what my teacher taught me. There was a mistake in the book. And uh, it made a tremendous difference to the destruction of Amalek. It wasn't complete because he read the wrong text. Um, and that's, so that's Rabbi Kiba. Number two is when you teach your child, make sure you teach him the true text. Don't teach him from a false book, from a book with errors. Do not use a part that others have already used. So what does that mean? So the commentaries say, try not to marry a woman who is married already, because then she has thoughts in her head about the previous husband. And, okay, I'm going to go into that one. Okay, observing a commandment when you're certain of it is like lending money on a field that bears fruit. In other words, you know I'm doing a mitzvah, Hashem's going to pay you back. It's like planting fruit, which is definitely going to grow. 
So a person does a mitzvah, we have to know when you do a mitzvah, you're guaranteed reward. You're guaranteed reward. That's a regular. Observing a command with a clean body is like doing the best mitzvah. So put, in other words, when a person does a mitzvah, do it in a nice way, do it in the best possible way, with cleanliness, with hygiene. A uh, person prays in the morning, make sure you do his mouthwash, brush your teeth, go to, you know, have a shower, get dirty, whatever it is. So amazing. Another saying, which again, we have to pass this around, but I, I, it's an amazing saying, says a person who takes money from charity when they don't need it, but eventually need it. That's a tremendous thing, you know. We, you know, we always learn the laws of, of tzedakah, but one of the laws of tzedakah is negative. Don't take if you don't need it. Don't take charity if you don't need it. And even if you need it, if you can avoid taking it, Hashem will pay you back. So it's amazing. So that's one of the sayings of Rabbi Kiva, try not to take charity. Anyway, Rabbi Kiva had a terrible, terrible ending. And at the ending, everyone was crying except for him. He was the one who was laughing. Imagine. So as they ripped his, his flesh with iron combs. It was Yom Kippur. One of the prayers of Yom Kippur, remember Rabbi Kiva. And they ripped his flesh with iron combs. And he is saying Shema. He's saying Shema. He's totally, he's not screaming in pain or agony. He's saying Shema with a smile on his face. And his, his students asked him, Arkan, Arkan, so far we have to go with the Seishama when they're torturing us. He said, all my life I prayed for this. And I should die on the word Echad. I should die worshipping God. And I got my wish. He said Echad and his soul came out. And what the Roman procurator hated the most was he died with a smile on his face. So <laughs> despite all the tortures and terrible things. Anyway, that was Rabbi Kiva, the great person. And... Uh, we, now's the time to remember Rabbi Kiva doing the Omer and 24,000 students there. There's the Shemashev and Aliyah. There's And we'll discuss uh, next week, uh, hopefully, a happier uh, a topic. But let's try and, and emulate Rabbi Kiva by studying. We have the opportunity, uh, we have the freedom to study. Bezrashem would all study. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.